Well, hello and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner, and uh, it's August 30th, 2009. And if you're listening live to us today, you'll be able to use the uh, webpage in front of you to submit questions and comments. If you're on the telephone, you'll be able to press star 2 at any time and raise your hand. And the good thing is that uh, it's all electronic, so the blood won't run out of your arm while you're holding your hand up in the air. And after our initial presentation, I'll go to both the telephones and to the website and uh, and take your questions live over the telephone and uh, by text, your comments and questions via the website. So you have two ways to listen live, plus a podcast that comes out usually on Tuesday or Wednesday. Pick it up at the iTunes Music Store, subscribe for free. Or most of the podcast directories on the Internet include the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Just put my name, Michael Benner, into the search box and you'll find it. Well, today's topic is called Forgiving Yourself. It's uh, a concept I'm looking forward to presenting today. Um it is, uh, I think, to many people an odd concept that I could forgive myself, um, but then even responsibility for other parts of self uh, just don't occur to many people. I remember, I'll speak for myself, as a young man, I thought self-esteem was something that came from other people that if enough people trusted you or respected you or thought you were cool, then you could, through a kind of an inventory of what other people think, uh, decide your own relative level of self-esteem. And the idea that I had a vote, <laughs> that, that I had some say-so in determining my level of self-confidence, uh, self-respect, or generally uh, self-esteem, that was a remote concept for me. I didn't really understand that not only do I have a vote, but who more important uh, to weigh in on my self-esteem than myself? And, and, and so it is with forgiveness. You might think, well, uh, I can forgive other people and they can forgive me, but what's it mean to forgive myself? Our topic for the day today, to forgive yourself, what in the world does that mean? What are the benefits? Uh, why would I do it and, um, and how? What's the technique for forgiving yourself? So, some of what we're going to talk about today. That's basically the bullseye of what we're going to talk about today. The larger field here is emotional intelligence and emotional management. The idea that we can use meditative states, what scientists and brain researchers have determined is the alpha brainwave state between awake and asleep, where the body is still, and the mind is quiet, and the emotional nature becomes calm and peaceful, to create an expanded awareness, to expand our horizon, to have a higher consciousness, and to see and understand that which 
we would find difficult to see or understand in normal consciousness where your body is busy running around and your brain, your head, your mental nature is full of a hundred different thoughts, multitasking, and your emotional nature is contorted. Uh, that's not a place for real understanding, much less understanding yourself and managing yourself. Even even checking in to know who you are uh, is for many people something that they rarely consider and I guess find risky. There's a, uh, excuse me a second here. <coughs> There's a... Uh, uh, a famous quotable quote by, I'm trying to remember who, I think it's Aldous Huxley, that is, uh, he, he was such a wonderful writer and generated so many quotable quotes. I may be attributing this to the wrong person, but I believe it was Huxley who said, everybody thinks about changing the world, but oddly few people think about changing themselves. Everybody wants to change the world, so you'll forgive the world, you'll be generous and kind and forgive other people their transgressions, but nobody thinks about changing themselves, or few people think about changing or even managing or even being responsible for yourself, and so then you become a victim of life. And boy, you think people hold on to their stuff? You think people hold on to their money? You think people are holding on? This is one thing people are holding on to, is their right to be a victim. Their right to be a helpless victim or an effect of life. I think everybody knows if if pressed, if the idea is properly presented that life is a two-way street. There's the part that's done to you, and then there's the part that you initiate. But my observation of people as a journalist and a personal development trainer is that people spend 90 to 95% of their time trying to understand and control and influence the world around them. And hardly ever, I think 5 or 10% would be a, a generous number, a high number, for the amount of time that people spend accepting responsibility, uh, trying to change or manage themselves, finding their own real power in these areas of peace and freedom and justice. We want other people to do it. We want Barack Obama to do it for us. Well, certainly a president has power by virtue of the fact that he or she represents so many people, power that we don't have. But nevertheless, it's our power. It's our right to stand up perpetually, perpetually if necessary, ever vigilant and demand peace and freedom and justice. And if somebody says, I have a second amendment right to guns you can say well maybe you do 
There's lots of folks in America who think the Second Amendment is about the militia, and that's the National Guard. But let me grant you the point. You may have a right to bear arms, but you don't have a right to take them to a health care rally. You don't have a right to threaten and intimidate people and scare people, and you don't have a right to be a violent person in a free and democratic society. Somewhere along the way, we get confused, right? Just like these health care meetings. You have a right to free speech. You do not have a right to shout other people down. I don't know why that's so hard for people to understand. Is it that your eyeballs are only working in one direction? You look out at the world, and so that's all you want to know and understand is the world. And so to care about the self, to think about our topic for the, for the day today, which is forgiving yourself, requires that you want to know that self, that it occurs to you that you could manage your self that you can even determine who your self is and what kind of person you want to be. But you would have to give up. <laughs> and here's the rub. You'd have to give up the helpless victim part. And that's terrifying, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. What would happen if I couldn't complain about my helplessness? What if I couldn't say, he made me do it, or she made me do it, he made me angry, and she made me jealous, and altogether they made me behave in this way. It's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. TV commercials that tell you it's not your fault that you drink too much or are addicted to tobacco. It's not your fault you have a disease. Well, maybe it's not your fault, but could it be your responsibility? Aha, could it be your responsibility? Could your ability to be a choice include an even-tempered, well-reasoned response? Is that what we mean by responsibility? Yeah. Responsibility, it doesn't mean you go from blaming other people to blaming yourself. It means that you find the power and the freedom in saying, hey, I get to choose the reality of this situation. I get to choose, maybe I don't get a whole lot of input in what's being done to me, I'll always be somewhat of a victim, but I can choose what I do with it. And one of my favorite ways of describing this, and maybe you've heard me say it before, is whether you totally created a situation. Many people who are new to metaphysics are very rigid on this. They're very orthodox, <laughs> fundamentalist, born-again metaphysicians. And they say, I read Esther Hicks, and I know I'm responsible somehow for everything in my life. Okay, fine, you created everything. You just weren't very conscious of it. How about if we say it that way? Maybe it's more likely, however, that in 
your varying states of consciousness. You co-created your reality. Okay, you had a lot to do with it, but there were other people that had an input. And you share that responsibility. And then again, maybe, maybe there are times in your life where you're a victim, where you really are blindsided and had nothing to do in any cosmic fashion or metaphysical law of attraction way whatsoever with the cause and effect of this situation. You were just totally victimized and blindsided. My argument has always been, what difference does it make? Whether you totally created it, contributed to creating it, or were blindsided by the circumstance or event, you're always able to choose a response. Life is what you make it. People say that, life is what you make it, but they behave, and their follow-up conversation suggests that life is still what's done to me. Stuff happens. Oh boy, did it hit the fan the other day, and I had nothing to do with it. I couldn't even duck or dodge or get out of the way. It just hit the fan, and wham, it went everywhere and got all over me. And what are these but appeals for sympathy? Won't you feel sorry for me? You know, what we want is love and forgiveness. And our class today is about granting that to yourself. You've got the keys. We talk about Otis in the Mayberry Jail, right? great thing about the Mayberry Jail is you can let yourself in, and when you're ready to go home, you can let yourself out. Andy and Barney don't even, <laughs> they don't even need to be there, right? So <clears throat> Otis sleeps it off, he gets the keys, he lets himself out of jail. We're the same way. We live in a prison, and the keys are hanging right there on the wall. And that prison, one way of describing it, is this appeal for sympathy and pity. Aren't I pathetic? Won't you feel sorry for me? What I'm calling conversation is an appeal for sympathy based on what a victim I am. Now, don't get me wrong. I really love people. I really do. Nine out of ten I can get along with right away. The other one I make a project, and it's all good. I really do like people. <laughs> I am not contemptuous of people. But we're at a very important stage in our evolution now. You know, we haven't been here very long. My God, we've only had electric light bulbs for a 100 years, Right? And 60 years after that, we're walking around on the moon. Now we've got magnificent computers, and we use them to text. We're really not sure what to do with this remarkable technology. We've got Google. That's pretty cool. All right, The ability to search everybody's computer in a tenth of a second. Right? not their home computers, but anything they post on the web. And that's most people's best stuff. 
And plus there's a certain unregulated uh, uh, lawlessness, uh, uh, democracy about the Internet. Anybody can put anything up there. But we're still trying to control the world around us rather than take responsibility for our lives. And that's the primary shift I want to make today. There's a saying from Eastern philosophy, and uh, I used to know who to attribute this to, and I'm, I'm blocking mentally this morning on who to attribute the quotation to, but I'm sure he won't mind that I have forgotten his name. He was a great teacher, and he said, You can try to cover the world with leather or simply wear shoes. I'm paraphrasing. He said it better than that. But that's what it comes down to. Why are you still trying to cover the whole world with leather when all you have to do is put on shoes? To take responsibility for your life is not to blame yourself for the conditions of the world. It's to empower yourself by saying, I have the freedom and the opportunity. In fact, I demand the liberty and the opportunity to make my own choices and to initiate responses to be proactive rather than reactive. And so I'm responsible for my self-image. I'm responsible for my self-respect. That will, I'm not going to determine that based on what other people think about me. I will determine my self-esteem, and I'm going to have to be the one that learns to forgive myself to put down my emotional pain and to understand the process. So there's the setup and there's our goal for the day today, to learn to forgive yourself. And all you have to do to begin to take this this kind of responsibility or this level of responsibility is see it for what it really is, a freedom, an opportunity, not some sort of burden. Uh, (laughs) I've had good fortune to interview some wonderful, wonderful people in my 40 years in radio, uh, mostly in Los Angeles, 35 of it in Los Angeles. And I remember interviewing uh, Jose Silva, S-I-L-V-A, of Silva, the founder of Silva Mind Control. I interviewed him a couple of times in Detroit. And after that, in Los Angeles, in the, uh, what would have been the early 70s in Detroit, the late 70s and uh, early 80s in Los Angeles. He's a wonderful guy. I really like Jose. And uh, benefited greatly from taking in the early 70s his training, Silver Mind Control. That was sort of my introduction to meditation and visualization, to guided imagery to contemplation and so on. And Jose said to me once in one of these radio interviews, 
He said, every time you discover a problem, it becomes your problem. And when he said that, I thought, oh, no. My initial reaction was, what? Every problem I discover is my problem, so now world hunger is my problem? War is my problem? I I can't... (laughs) I can't fix that, right? What did he mean? Well, it took me quite a while to really massage it. I mean, my brain, I guess, more than the problem, to massage my brain to the point where it could get around that concept, the the remarkable freedom and the power that you ascend to when you take responsibility and say, this is not about self-blame. I'm not blaming myself for bringing it on. Again, as I said a few minutes ago, whether I created this all by myself, knowingly or not, whether I contribute to the creation of it, or whether I'm totally a victim and blindsided by it, matters not. I'm always responsible, able to choose and initiate a response. And that's not a burden. To think of responsibility as a burden that that bends you over and weighs you down. Now, oh no, every problem in the world, it's like Atlas, right? Every problem, Atlas shrugged. Uh, This is a a different kind of Atlas shrugged. You know, this is, uh, instead of Atlas shrugged in in the, uh, objectivist sense of Ayn Rand being this is not my responsibility Atlas shrugged the burden by saying it is my responsibility and my freedom you see to decide what I do with the situation I'm in and that leads to positive thinking uh, to being goal oriented always beginning with the end in mind knowing what you want knowing how to get what you want and um, what is more basic to all of that than managing how you feel about yourself and learning to forgive yourself and to drop these burdens to put this emotional baggage down that we've been carrying around some of it we can't even seem to identify or exactly put our fingers on. Uh, that's the bulk of the private work they still do by telephone. Helping people. I do this over the phone now, private counseling. You probably do that. But um, I don't have a lot of spots, but I do. And I really enjoy working one-on-one with people to help them identify where in their lives and how to make these changes how to forgive themselves, basically. Why do you drag this around? Why do we carry this pain? As if the guilt and the pain is going to make us better? Couldn't we be better by healing the pain and forgiving ourselves and putting it down, having understood having learned the lesson and then move forward free of that burden that baggage well of course 
But most people want other people to do it for them. And I don't mean private counseling. I mean conversation. I used to send my students out into Los Angeles once a year or so and say, here's your assignment for the week. I want you to eavesdrop. Sometimes I got some funny looks. No, seriously, you're in public places. You're in the restaurants and the coffee shops, and you're sitting at the bus stop, and you're in the bookstore, and you're going to listen to conversations anyway. Uh, You're going to overhear people talking. I want you to, for a week, and we'll talk about it next week when you come back to class, listen to the quality and the nature of what passes for small talk at least in the United States of America. What are people talking about? And a week later, when the class got together again, the consensus was overwhelming. That the vast majority of what passed for conversation (laughs) was people appealing for sympathy, complaining and whining about how miserable they are, and they can do nothing about it because... They are a victim, an effect, or a target of life. That life is a one-way street, and it's coming at me. And I'm the bullseye. I am ground zero. And I'm miserable, and I'm angry, and I'm telling you about it so that you will sympathize. And then as soon as I get a breath, we're going to switch roles, and you're going to tell me how you're more miserable than I am so that I can sympathize and feel sorry for you. And that's called friendship. You see, those are not appeals for love. They're appeals for sympathy, and sympathy does not heal. Love heals. Sympathy is appropriate in the the immediate wake of a great tragedy or a loss. Somebody dies, oh, until you recover, and while you recover, you have my sympathy. You are a victim. It's going to take you a while to get your feet under you. And so you have my sympathy. But that sympathy's got to become love as the victim, in this case of the loss, does heal and take responsibility and get their feet under them and decide this reality is is what I make of it, not simply what's done to me. There is the part of any incident or event or circumstance that you are a victim of, that initial hit. No question about it. I'm just arguing for the other half of the sky, for the, okay, now what are you going to do with it? Right? Are you going to learn and understand about yourself or are you going to do what most people do 90-95% of the time learn about the world, manage the world cover the whole world with letters so you don't hurt your feet blame the world for the sharp sticks and stones when all you have to do is just put on some slippers and you're cool take some personal responsibility All right, so what's the how-to of all of this? The how-to is the celebrated alpha brainwave level. Uh, 
Alpha is a level of mind, a state of expanded awareness between awake and asleep. That's the best way I know of to define it. It is a state not of drowsiness or being, uh, how shall I say, dissociated. It is a mindful state where you can be detached but not dissociated. In other words, detached as in taking one step back to see a bigger picture. Okay, but you're still associated with the observation. Detached is, I'm not so close to it that I can't see it. I'm going to step back here and get the overview, the concept. That's mindfully detached. This is one of the primary benefits of any meditation or contemplation, is that it is in the nature of being in this place of focused attention, of mindful detachment, that you realize so much about your mental and emotional and physical and, for that matter, spiritual problems, circumstances and situations. It's just like, it's it's like trying to read in a dark room for most people most of their lives and somebody comes along and turns the light on behind you and the light spills over your shoulder onto the the page of the book in front of you and you go, my God, it's so easy to read. Why didn't we turn the light on before? Well, you didn't know the light was there. You've been living in the dark. You've been trying to understand the world instead of yourself, and when you did turn to the self, you were still in the shadows of normal consciousness where your attention is scattered in your day-to-day activities and multitasking. Most of us so stressed and so distracted by the mind just bombarding us with pay attention to me, no, pay attention to this, Well, look at that. Well, what about this? All these ideas competing for attention that has become normal consciousness. And it didn't used to be normal consciousness. It used to be that people were fairly skilled when they lived in a rural environment, when they had low and appropriate technology, when they felt that they had control and some responsibility for their lives, they could easily access the alpha brainwave state. They didn't call it that. They would call it concentration or paying attention. But they knew it was a relaxation skill. Today, we think we think concentration is an effort that you have to try to concentrate. When trying to do anything destroys concentration. Is this confusing to you? The harder you try to do something, generally the worse you do at it. This is the, the, 
the lesson of sports psychology and the difference between eustress and distress. Eustress is good stress. It's like, you know, it gets you excited, gets the adrenaline pumping, and gets the pupils dilated, and gets the muscles all juiced up and ready to go. Oh boy, hot damn golly gee, here we go. That's called eustress, E-U, stress. means good stress. Generally, however, when we use the word stress, what we mean is distress, which would be bad stress. And so what we've learned from 30-plus years of sports psychology is that you got to try. If you don't care at all, you're not going to do well. But if you care too much and try too hard, you're not going to do well because tight muscles are not powerful and tight muscles are not coordinated. So you got to be loose. But not so loose that you don't care at all. What are we talking about? We're talking about the peak of the bell curve. We're, t- <laughs> we're talking about a point of diminishing return. We're talking about psyching up to a certain point, but then doing your sport, your performance, with elegance and ease, and grace. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to understanding yourself, knowing yourself, forgiving yourself, and empowering yourself to determine what am I going to do with this situation I find myself in instead of just fighting against the stimulus. Maybe I could, like a matador, sidestep all of that and initiate. I've heard it called self-initiation, but that seems a little redundant. Self-initiated growth. To initiate your growth or to initiate your behavior. Right? To substitute an even-tempered, well-reasoned response for a knee-jerk reaction requires that we use these alpha brainwave levels, these meditative states that people used to know when they, again, live closer to the earth and and in a more rural environment, but we've created this high-tech, urban, industrialized, insane society, grossly corrupt and unjust, and uh, the stresses have never been greater. And so people are living in this fight-or-flight response in high beta brainwaves, high-frequency brainwaves, and we're becoming borderline paranoid schizophrenic. We're terrified of each other. We're always afraid of something horrible about to happen because we're just overloaded with stress. And so we're so busy trying to control the world around us, it just doesn't occur to us to manage ourselves. So if... It's forgiveness we want. How do I get over this? How do I let go of this hurt, this pain, and this emotional suffering? Consider that whatever forgiveness you want from other people, that's one thing. And we'll do programs about that. It's just that today I want to talk about the less obvious but much more powerful option of forgiving yourself. And that may be, for many of you, the missing piece. Where others have forgiven you long ago. You're the one 
that just can't seem to let go. All right. So what is the technique? You got the concept now. What is the technique? The technique is simply to go to this brainwave level common to all meditation, contemplation, call it reflection or introspection, where you still the body, calm the emotional nature and quiet the mind. It's basically a breathing and letting go exercise. Okay? To become mindfully detached, not dissociated, you're more associated. But you're going to zoom out a little bit to get the gestalt, the whole enchilada, to see the bigger picture. And that's a natural byproduct of relaxation. That's a principle that's very important for you to understand. And then ask yourself a series of questions. And normally what I do in these classes if you've been here before, you know that I do a presentation and then we go to the questions, uh, the text questions on the web, the telephone questions for those of you who are calling. And then we do an alpha process at the end. Today I'm going to turn that around a little bit, do an alpha process now to demonstrate this process of understanding and forgiving yourself, putting down this hurt, healing the emotional nature by understanding. That's the magic. You say, hey, what is the deal with the psychotherapist or the mental health specialist? I mean, I know doctors use drugs and knives. That's that's Western medicine. That's about all they have is drugs and knives. Right? There are other approaches to health care, but that's it for Western medicine. Uh, but what do you, uh, psychotherapists and psychologists and uh, spiritual healers, what do you got going on for you? What, What is your magic? And it's understanding. It's understanding as a quality of the love that I said earlier today most people don't understand, <laughs> which is the capital L love, right? Love as consciousness has a quality of understanding with it. You could call it knowledge. I'm using knowledge and understanding. There are some systems that separate a difference between knowledge and understanding. I'm going to use them in the same way. The reason you hurt is that it's just emotionally, is that it's just a symptom of something you don't understand. And when you understand why it hurts and what it says about you, it stops hurting. It's like, hey, uh, the house is burning down, the fire alarm goes off, ring, 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 the uh, the uh, police show up, the fire department shows up, uh, they're putting out the fire, could we reset the alarm now? Can we turn off the damn alarm? Right? cop cars chase you around or they're in a hurry to get someplace and they got the siren going well once they get there could you turn the, turn the damn siren off once I understand my emotional pain could it stop hurting and would the best way to stop the emotional hurt in my life 
me to understand what it's trying to tell me? Yeah, that's it. It's just understanding. Well, how am I ever going to understand if I haven't figured it out by now? Well, you haven't figured it out by now because you're doing ten other things. You know, we try to make the most important management decisions in our lives while we're driving the car, uh, washing the dishes, uh, at work, um, in conversations that are boring, um, with the ball game on the television, watching uh, Do You Want to Be a Millionaire, whatever. And in the background, you got three or four conversations all going on at the same time, one of which is, uh, I wish I didn't hurt so much. I wish I wasn't so sad or depressed or nervous or apprehensive or worried. You see, why can't I just be happy? You can't. It's like fix yourself instead of the world around you. What Christ say? Physician, heal thyself. Take it home. Work on yourself. Understand yourself. What did the Greeks say? Know thyself. Hamlet, to thine own self be true. Lao Tzu, knowing others is wise, but to know yourself is enlightened. You see, I'm just... It's one of the biggest mysteries of my life that people are not more curious about who they are. I do understand the the fear and the risk that's involved. But they're big, gross, distorted shadows. It's not that scary to know yourself. It's rather a rigged game. Ultimately, you're going to really like what you find, and I can guarantee it. I could not be in the business of helping people individually, in couples, in classes, on the web, live, helping them to discover who they are if I didn't know that ultimately what they're going to find is pretty wonderful and pretty magnificent. And so the game is rigged. Life is beautiful. And if you haven't found your beauty, it's because you haven't gone beneath the surface yet. you got to go deeper. And you got to do that in a concentrated state which requires relaxation. Concentration is a relaxation skill. So let's do that. And then I'll show you, there's basically like three questions. We could make it four or five, but... Basically, just three questions we're going to ask ourselves to let go of this hurt. So what I'd like you to do, and we'll come back and do questions on the other side of this exercise. We'll see how much time we have. We'll move the meditation up. And what I want you to do is think of a time in just the last couple of days Now, if you've got something really big from a week, a month, a year, five years ago that you want to address, fine. Some big emotional hurt that you'd like to heal once and for all, fine. But I'd suggest that if you're amenable to it, you choose something small, some little frustration or irritant 
from just the last two or three days, when you were upset, uh, angry, sad or depressed, irritated, contemptuous, vengeful, uh, <laughs> any negative feeling, knocked off center, hurt or upset, in just the last couple of days. Could be a guy cut you off in traffic. Could be somebody looked at you in a funny way. Right? Wouldn't have to be a big thing. Could be uh, your your spouse said something that uh, you took as negative, even though you know they didn't mean it that way. It still hurt you anyway, and you're not sure why. Especially since you're clear that their intention was not negative. And so choose that now. Trust your first impression. Something that's happened to you in the last two or three days that caused some sort of hurt or upset. And choose that one particular event. And close your eyes. And allow yourself to remember in great detail what happened that hurt you or upset you in the last couple of days. And take a couple of nice, slow, deep breaths as you do this, inhaling fully through the nose, hold as you peak, and then as you exhale, ah, feel the letting go. Nice, slow, deep, diaphragmatic breathing like you learned in yoga class or in gym class. Ah, three or four nice, slow, deep breaths. Ah, feel the letting go in your body, feeling safe and relaxed. And slow, deep breathing with eyes closed is a message to the brain that you're safe and that it can turn off, so to speak, or put in abeyance the fight-or-flight response, that you're safe for now. You feel the way you feel before you go to sleep, not drowsy, but ready to let go from the top of your head to the soles of your feet to feel loose and limp to feel like butter softening on a warm day or a snowman melting in the spring and you're okay with that as you imagine your physical body softening slowly from the skin all the way to the skeleton through all those muscles and all that tissue and all those organs feel relaxation all the way down to the skeletal core of your body so safe and so relaxed and begin to visualize as we do most every week here a beautiful nature scene, a paradise, a garden, 
and Eden, a beautiful place of perfect peace, a place of ideal relaxation where you're so safe and so relaxed. And convince the brain through the use of your imagination that you're really there. The brain's more than happy to believe that you really are in this beautiful place with tall, magnificent trees and sunshine filtering down through the trees. And maybe here is a open, sunny meadow and over here a cool, shady spot. And over here a little stream or a small lake and wildflowers over here. And besides allowing my voice to guide you, you can also hear birds singing in the wind. Listen carefully and hear the wind, the gentle breezes in the tops of the tallest trees. As you sit upon the earth in this one particular spot that you've dreamed up for yourself and imagine feeling rooted or grounded. Yeah, as if you had roots of your own, like a tree or a bush. You can imagine. Just pretend. The feeling you're making all this up is exactly right. Feel grounded to the earth. And sitting here so safe and so relaxed in this beautiful place of perfect peace, allow yourself to remember the incident you identified only a few minutes ago. From the last couple of days that hurt you, upset you, or irritated you, that frustrated you or made you angry, And allow those feelings to come up again. In fact, maybe for the first time, through the relaxation, we allow ourselves to become fully absorbed by these feelings from just the other day in this one particular event that we've identified. And you let those feelings have their way with you. If it hurts, you felt the hurt already. Let it come into its fullness now. If it's anger, allow yourself to become fully angry. See how, how much anger is really there. If it makes you uh, melancholy, sad, depressed, or Maybe vengeful and determined, uh, contemptuous of others, cynical, uh, worry, apprehensive, whatever are the feelings, I want you to be less concerned with the name, because there's nobody you're going to have to name these feelings for. You don't have to describe them out loud to anybody, just give them full reign. Let them run. You're built for this. You can handle this. And it wasn't that big a thing. 
let your feelings, let your emotions have their way with you. If your awareness is still in your head and you typically reside in your head, gently move your awareness of self down into your body. And if you're not sure what that means, pretend you know what it means. And move down into your body between your heart and the base of your spine. And feel the range of feelings along the spine. The range of emotional feelings that you feel in your body around this particular event. And ask yourself the first question. What does this feel like? And you can ask a second or a third time. You don't need to chant it. Don't make a mantra out of it. Just see what comes up. Does it feel like a color? What color would that be? Does it feel like a texture? What texture would that be? Does the feeling have a temperature? What temperature would it be? Does the feeling or set of feelings, well, can, can you imagine having a taste or a fragrance? And if so, how would it smell and taste, this feeling or set of feelings? The first question is, how does it feel? If you find yourself being distracted, as beginners often are in a situation like this, no big deal. Just as soon as you're aware of it, let it go. Put it down. Say, well, think about the ball game or paying the bills or sex or food or whatever we're thinking about and been distracted by. Well, think about that later. Take a breath, let it go, and gently put your attention back on how does this feeling or set of feelings feel? The second question is, what do these feelings remind me of? What am I reminded of? Maybe another time when I felt similar feelings. And give yourself time to freely associate. Don't work it too hard. Just let it come up. What do these feelings remind me of? third question what is my personal 
growth lesson. In other words, if this feeling or combination of negative, hurtful emotions was a symptom or a set of symptoms to teach me something about myself, what would that be? What is my, the third question is simply, what can I learn from this about myself? What is my personal growth lesson? Now, a fourth question that I'm going to offer you today is simply, is there anything else you ask yourself? Is there anything else I could learn, anything I'm overlooking that we could add in here? I like to put, put that fourth question on as a kind of a safety mechanism. So before we go back to the waking state of normal consciousness and multitasking, divided awareness ask that fourth question if the first question is how do I feel and the second question is what does this remind me of when, when have I felt like this before and the third question is what is my personal growth lesson. What could I understand about myself from these feelings? The fourth question is simply, is there anything else? Is there more for me to understand here? And be patient. Wait. Four simple questions. A brief inventory. Now, whatever understanding you get, whatever little aha that you receive in response to this inquiry, it's going to allow you, through the understanding, to let go of the hurt. That's called forgiving yourself. To forgive yourself is to put it down and to let it go because you understand it. So you don't need to carry it around anymore. It's like you already learned this class, so you don't have to carry the textbook anymore. You figured that out. You put it down. That's forgiving yourself. You may get some huge awareness, some epiphany that changes your life forevermore. And so you get an enormous feeling of forgiveness and putting it down, letting it go. Or it may come in little bits and pieces, in which case you want to repeat this exercise 
in any event, you'll repeat the exercise, but I mean for the same set of feelings in similar circumstances. And this is forgiving yourself. This is putting down the baggage. This is accepting responsibility, giving up helplessness and victimization, and accepting responsibility for the freedom and the peace and the love in your life. It's that simple. Just work. Forget politics. Just work for peace and justice and freedom. Starting with you. And then give it to the world. Empathize now and share it with others. So take a nice, slow, deep breath, filling your lungs. And as you exhale, ah, relax again and open your eyes now, wide awake and alert, rested, refreshed, with a full memory of what you just did, and feeling a feeling of having put down, maybe a little, maybe a lot, of that emotional baggage, and thus forgiving yourself. I want to go to the questions and the comments here, both text and telephone, but I'll tell you a quick story about a lunch I had maybe 10 years ago with a rather well-known teacher of hypnosis and hypnotherapy in the Glendale area, California, a man named Gil Boyne. Gil trained a lot of excellent people. Dave Elman is one of Gil Boyne's another famous hypnotist and I called Gil Boyne on the telephone one day because I lived in Glendale and I wanted to introduce myself and I would say uh, two months went by and I didn't hear anything he never called me back and suddenly one day about 11.30 in the morning the phone rings and this voice says Michael, Michael Benner and I said yeah, he says it's Gil Boyne I said, well, hi, Gil. Thanks for calling me back. Yeah, sorry it took so long. Listen, I'm just about to have lunch at the such-and-such cafe. Will you meet me there? And I went and had lunch with Gil Boyd, you know, who at the time was in his 70s. He may still be alive, for all I know. But at the time, he was in his mid to late 70s, I would guess and very venerable, wise man, and uh, metaphysician, and uh, mystic, and uh, extremely knowledgeable in the whole field of hypnotherapy. And we had the most charming lunch. And I did everything I could to just ask questions, because I had a lot I wanted to tell them, but I thought, this is valuable time. I'm going to ask questions. So... Uh, it was uh, the timing was perfect. We had lunch. It was about an hour and a half that we talked, and he had other business to do. And so, about ninety minutes into this, we finished our lunch and had a cup of coffee. And he's getting ready to go. He's on his way out the door, and he pauses as if he's going to summarize the whole thing for me. That's exactly what he did. The whole field of human potential, the whole field of personal development through hypnotherapy. He was going to 
summarize for me. So he's standing, about to walk away from the table. I'm still sitting there. And so now he's looking down on me, and he's tapping the table with his finger. And he says, Michael, it all comes down to this. He said, you forgive other people for what they've done to you. You forgive yourself for buying into it. And then you forgive God for being so impersonal that it refuses to intervene. And you let go, you let go, and you let go. And he said, so long, and he turned and he walked away. That was the last I uh, I saw of him. Shortly after that, I moved out of Glendale and never did see him again. Though, again, I think he still may be alive. He does an annual convention, or used to every spring, at the Red Lion Hotel in Glendale. Hypnotists from all over the world come in. Forgive other people for what they do to you. Forgive yourself for buying into it. Forgive God for not intervening and coming to save you. I always get a kick out of the born-agains who pray for God to intervene in their high school football game, even though apparently God will not intervene in world hunger or war, but they call for divine intercession in the high school football team. We are such silly creatures. And yet when it comes to taking responsibility for our own lives, we're reticent to do that. All right, so if you're on the phone or if you want to use one of the phone numbers right above the player on the web page in front of you, you can call now, enter the conference ID. I have a few people on the phone. looks like most people are on the web. And if so, you can use the text fields at the bottom of the page to enter any question or comment that you have. And let me say hello to a few of you here that are already on the page. Uh, Carol Postel is with us this morning in La Habra, as always, and she says aloha and hello. Lorelei in Tucson is with us again. I don't think any of these people, these are all the hardcore, I don't think these people will ever miss a class. Thank you, Lorelei. She says, hey, last week I had an irrational and irate customer who was not even making any sense, and she just had the need to vent her unhappiness and her frustration with the world on me and my coworkers. And what's the best way to handle and defuse someone who is set on spreading their unhappiness on everyone around them? Great class. Peace and love to you. Well, uh, Lorelei, that's somewhat like the question you asked me about handling your supervisor a few weeks ago. Uh, I think in this case, um, simple acknowledgement, you know, the power of I know how you feel. Let me talk to you as a salesperson, too. I've talked about this before, and it's a very powerful little sales technique that you can use in your integrity called feel, felt, found. Uh, in feel, felt, found, what you say to a irate customer is something that they want, but most salespeople don't know how to say, which is, I understand how you feel. All right? That's the first part. You might even want to write that down now. Uh, there's that magical word, understanding. 
So somebody's in your face, and whether it's obvious to you that they just had a bad day, maybe the dog died, maybe their mother they just found out was diagnosed with cancer, maybe the kid just flunked out of school, you don't know what's going on in this person's life. And maybe, as you suggested here, Laurel Wyatt, it's obvious to you that it's really not about you or the store where you work or the product or service you provide. They just brought this in the door with them and they needed the vent. But whether that's the case or maybe it is specifically about you, feel felt found is you listen and then say, I know how you feel or I can imagine how you feel. Well, I can understand how you'd feel that way. All right, that's number one. Number two is, I felt that way myself. I've been in that same, boy, I could, <laughs> let me tell you, I, I know exactly what you're talking You don't have to tell a whole big story. Don't steal the limelight and go off into your trip. Just, well, I, I, I can imagine how you'd feel that way. I felt that way myself. And the third part, and here's what I have found. And now you assert yourself as a leader of women and men and say, here's what I found, and you reframe the reality of the situation for them. As specifically as possible, whatever it is that you can do for them without playing amateur psychologist, right? Like if... She's really venting, and she brought the problem with her, but somehow she managed to make it about something you said or did, then make amends. You know, whatever you can give, whatever you can offer, and use that little three-step technique. Any of you listening now who are in any kind of sales or interfacing with people when they complain and whine and... um, get in your face they don't need you to agree they want you to acknowledge by the way this works real well at home in couples counseling your spouse your partner is angry they don't want you to agree they just think they do what they want is for you to say I can understand how you'd feel or I understand how you feel I can understand how you might feel. Uh, I know how I'd feel in that situation. And give them the acknowledgement, that little bit of sympathy that they're looking for. And then follow it up with, I felt that way myself. Now you're bonded. You're not opposite. You're on the same team. And then thirdly, uh, this is what I found. So you've already been through it, and now you're the leader, and you're going to share a little bit of wisdom. This is what I'd do if I were in your situation. That's powerful, powerful stuff. Feel, felt, found. Feel, felt, found. Powerful technique. In a word, acknowledgement, Lorelai. That's how you. <laughs> that's how you handle a nasty, mean, angry customer, or anybody else in your life. Is uh, rather than defend yourself and take up the opposite polarity, right, and become the target, uh, just say, I, I, I can imagine, how, I can understand how you'd feel that way. 
<laughs> I felt that way myself. You know, instant ally. And now you're the leader. You got a ring in their nose. As long as you're in your integrity, lead them into whatever resolution is in the best interest of uh, of everyone concerned. Thanks for the question. And in Irvine, Robert Fiegel again this week with us. Robert seems to always be here. It's nice to hear from you regularly, Robert. Thank you. He says, "What's the secret to staying motivated when you hit the lulls?" And disappointments on the journey of manifesting your dreams. Thank you, Michael, for the excellent class and awareness. And uh, have a magical week. Uh, how do you stay motivated? Um, well, I think you break things into little bite-sized pieces. There's a lot of this here. Uh, I, I can't give you the kind of answer I'd like to, so... I, I, if I'm going to give you just a little bit here, I would say break your steps into smaller pieces. Chunk it down, Robert. Into, you know how the shredded wheat is about four by six? <laughs> and then some genius decided to make bite-sized shredded wheat? And if you don't like shredded wheat, it doesn't matter at all. But if you do, the bite-sized is really handy. Chunk down the steps in your strategy or plan to accomplish a particular outcome, break those down into smaller pieces or smaller chunks, bite-sized pieces, so you can get more immediate feedback on your progress. It doesn't take much to feel good about moving forward. And you can relish every little success along the way. And turn it into a banquet or a feast where, after all, you know, the brain is telling you it's about the destination, but it's not. It's about the journey. I mean, as soon as you get what it is that you want, uh, it's like those toys two days after Christmas. We had to have them, but two days after Christmas, they're on the shelf. The whole thing was the anticipation to borrow from Carly Simon, right? As soon as you get a goal, it's never, well, I won't say never, but it's often not all that you had hoped it would be. And the point is you got to set another goal uh, to get the feeling of adventure. It's always about the journey, not the destination. So break it into lo- little uh, smaller bite-sized pieces, I think, and then you can actually experience, not only see, but feel and experience your movement forward, relishing every little step along the way, and that will not only keep you motivated, but keep you aware, I would suggest, that it really is the journey, not the destination. It's the path. It's all about the path. We got a few more minutes. Let's see. Let me uh, check to see if I have anybody on the telephone that wants to come in. I have a few more text messages. None of the callers have their hands raised. Star two to raise your hand. So let's continue with the questions. And out of Albuquerque, Diane's with us again this week. Hi, Diane. She says hello from Albuquerque. She says, love this class. Interesting that so many who are... Um, Let's see. Interesting that so many 
who so easily forgive others have a difficult time forgiving themselves. We need to practice being as kind to ourselves as we are to others. Recognizing our mistakes and shortcomings are part of our learning experience, and that we learn from our mistakes is the gift. I celebrate the opportunity and freedom that I can grow each day and can choose and strive to become a better person with new insight each day, never a victim. My challenges and sorrows are my teachers, nicely said, Diane. She goes on, the providers of new understanding and insight, the most difficult times of my life, set me on a path to miracles, a small price to pay for miracles. When I look at the many blessings of my life, it's obvious that someone, maybe a higher self, has a lot of faith in me, and I, <laughs> and I enjoy growing and trying to prove them right. Warmest regards, Dan. Well, that's beautifully said. And uh, that's the attitude. Oh, and here's a little more. Uh, she says, I think you're tuned into my thinking. We're sort of simpatico. She describes herself also as a student of Jose Silva and took that program over 25 years ago. Also read Anne Rand's Atlas Shrugged about that same time. And uh, let's see, been living in the light for years, sometimes kind of lonely. So many people look at the bad stuff and feel the victimization. I am a victor. Thanks for the grace you put forward and the good understandings. Uh, weekly workshops, quite a commitment. I hope to keep it going. Well, uh, it's your commitment. You know, I'm committed to be here. I just, I'm thrilled. I'll I'll be here um, even if I'm sick. I'd have to be awfully ill to cancel this. I, I'll do it every Sunday on holidays, Christmas morning, New Year's, whatever. I'll be here because uh, that's my commitment not only to you but to myself. I really benefit from this and enjoy it. I just realized what time it is. I'm about to lose my recorder here. Hold on, let me extend for just a minute so the recorder doesn't get chopped off. Because we're just about to wrap it up. Uh, I'm committed, and so if you can be here, that's great. And if you can't, don't worry about it. Nobody's taking attendance. Uh, if you don't type your name in here and say hi, I don't even know who's on. I have a counter that tells me how many people are looking at the website and how many are listening by telephone, but I don't, uh, I can't see who you are, okay? <laughs> Nothing like that, unless you put your name on, as you guys, some of you have done. So I hope you can make it on a regular basis, but don't feel like you have to. And remember, you're committed not to me, you're committing to yourself, just as I do this for you, but also for me. It's really, ultimately, I'm the one that benefits from all of this. You can't do anything for other people that you're unable to do for yourself. Okay? That's the lesson that I that I often teach, that story about the non-swimmers and the lifeboat and one makes a promise to the other and says, well, uh, I can't swim and I can't save myself and you can't swim and you, you can't save yourself, so if we lose this life raft, we'll have to save each other. And although 
my students and clients always agree that's absurd and ridiculous. Uh, nevertheless, they have to pause and rethink it when I point out that that's what most relationships are about. I'm lonely and empty. I need love, and you're lonely and empty. Hey, we're both lonely and empty. Let's get together and fill each other up. And it doesn't work that way. That's why most relationships last maybe 30, 60, at most 90 days. And then your empty spots start coming back. And because you gave the other person responsibility for filling you up, now they're to blame for the fact that you're not feeling all full of love. And we got it all backwards. We have to fill ourselves with love and peace and understanding and the search for justice and freedom and then give out of our bounty needing nothing in return you know the only love you really receive isn't from other people or from animals that are pets love is a, a divine evidence it is the basis of all spirituality and it is life itself, and you are that, and it is you. It's not only that God loves us, we are not separated. It's love that unites, so you are God's love, and God is your love. The eye that sees God is the same eye God uses to see you. You're inseparable. And so in your relationships, it's not giving love and receiving love or giving forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. Work with yourself. Find the love and the forgiveness in you and then empathize and you can maybe support that out into the world but support others in loving themselves and forgiving themselves. It's a nice little twist. And maybe not so little, maybe not so little. Maybe it's a pretty big twist, so to speak, or spin on things. All right, a couple more, and then I'll get out of here. In England, Jacob Martin is with us again this week. Hi, Jacob. Nice to hear from you on the other side of the pond, 11 hours away. Jacob says, I'm thinking that forgiving myself is similar to accepting that I have attachment to desiring something. I haven't been ready to let go of it's the uh, oh oh um, of desiring something I haven't been ready to let go of. I see. Okay. And then he says it's the awareness of this that seems to heal, but sometimes I have trouble keeping up with the awareness. And it's a big step. It seems to justify. Um, let's see. It's a big step. It seems to just simply accept and another practice keeping up with it. Uh, it kind of helps me to know that this is a lesson that I'm here to learn. And if I live in denial or unacceptance, then I won't be living my purpose. Denial or unacceptance. Yeah, well, to accept, it is what it is. It's about you. <laughs> That's the awareness. That's the irony of it all. That's the uh, through the looking glass part. Uh, I guess you the Alice of Wonderland uh, I wonder if you guys know that Tim Burton is doing a new film of Alice of Wonderland. Tim Burton 
is remaking Alice in Wonderland with Johnny Depp as the Mad Hatter. And uh, it's going to be very cool. I've seen some of the trailers and some of the still photos. Yeah, it's that uh, inside out, upside down, backwards, you are looking in a mirror of yourself. It's the barbershop mirrors. It's, it's the world is projection. You're projecting yourself even on other people. And to get all of this sorted out and to know that <laughs> politics has it all backwards. That's where it's most gross. Controlling, managing, murdering, slaughtering, stealing from other people, controlling great masses of people to get what you want is so totally corrupt that a spiritual person has to at some point accept that what life is really about is the awareness that you are at its center. You are its purpose. That's your job. If not you, who is going to discover and develop you? And to do it in this moment, not in the past, with all the regrets and the resentments, and not in the future with all the fears and the doubts, but even when we learn from the past, as we did this morning, or plan the future to do it right here, right now, and to own your life, to make your life about your life. There's a crazy idea. And to give everything that you have to give from your bounty, because everything is given to you without condition, why would you hesitate to pay it forward, to pass it on? And finally, out of Honolulu, uh, Bert, uh, Bert Fishman says, Hi, Michael. Hope all is going well with you and Doreen. Keep up the good work. Aloha, Bert. And Bert, I hope you get a chance to uh, make it over to Hilo next Saturday. And if any of you listening have friends in Hawaii, my partner of 25-plus years, Steve Snyder, and I, along with a third professional, a uh, fellow uh, time management expert named Larry Shawanka, uh, the three of us are going to do a real powerful, very intensive half-day seminar in Hilo, Hawaii. That's on the Big Island next Saturday, September 5th, from 9 in the morning to 1 in the afternoon. And um, I'll be happy to get you the information. I've put it all over Facebook. I've put it on Twitter. I sent it out in my email. But I haven't posted it on my website. So the best thing to do is send me an email today. Do it right now. My initials at theagelesswisdom.com. MB at theagelesswisdom.com. MB is my initials, like Mary Baker, Michael Benner. MB at theagelesswisdom.com. And just say, send me the address for that workshop. I want more information, and I'll send you the URL, and you can see the whole deal, get the details, and register right there. You get a 25% discount if you do that right away. Okay? And it's a very affordable class, I'll tell you that. It's a $60 class. Uh, we can give you a 25% discount as a listener of this Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And so 
vehicle, that will lock it down to $45. And I'll make this guarantee. If you don't feel you get $45 worth out of this workshop, I'll make sure you get your money back. All right? Nobody will pay for this who's not happy. Steve and I have always done that, and we've never had anybody ask for their money back. So you're going <laughs> to... You'll get your 40 We could charge $450, and... Uh, I don't think anybody would complain about it. Fewer people would end up taking it. Fewer people would benefit from it is all. But uh, the lessons are invaluable. And this workshop is called Breakthrough to a New You. And Steve and I are going to go through seven distinct and definitive benefits of identifying with the higher self. Larry's going to do a wonderful segment on time management and again, if you're in Hawaii and can join us in Hilo, uh, just shoot me your email and I'll get all the relevant information to you. MB at theagelesswisdom.com. Say, give me the lowdown of the Hilo seminar next Saturday, September 5. And uh, hopefully we'll see you there. And uh, for those of you who are thinking, well, I'd fly from the mainland if it was more than a half day. Uh, there's a good chance that by next spring we'll have a three- or four-day transformational seminar available, something Steve and I have already been working on for a couple of years, Maui retreats, something to get excited about. This would be basically a week in Maui, much of it in an intensive transformational seminar. So we'll tell you more about that in the next uh, few months. That probably will not happen before spring of 2010. Hey, we got to get out of here. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for calling. Um, those of you who called and for putting your questions on the uh, internet here and telling your friends about the Ageless Wisdom at Mystery School. If you have 99 cents a week to support the work we do and make sure that we remain commercial-free to help us stay free from all commercials, we have a premium audio program for you, Finding Yourself in Paradise. That's simply 99 cents a week at focusedpassion.com. Dig deep. See if you can come up with 3.96 a month. You'll love these programs. They're also guaranteed. Finding Yourself in Paradise, studio of quality, Steve and I together, compelling conversations, finding yourself in paradise at focusedpassion.com, the W's dot focusedpassion.com. Thanks again for being here. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Maui, Hawaii, this is Michael Benner. Aloha. <laughs>